0: Thank you for your patience while we get back on track here at the night's end. I'll just say, always make a backup of the backup of the backup. <laughs> anyway, I just want to give a shout out to our newest patron, Bridget Bauer. Thanks to you and all our other patrons, we can continue to create this content. There is two episodes left of the season, this one and our finale, which I can't wait for you all to listen to. And finally, just a note on the night's end the end of this season we'll be going on a hiatus. Being a one-person shop here makes it hard to work on other creative projects so I'll be taking a bit of a break to work on the secret project that we've been mentioning. I can tell you now that it is a brand new fiction podcast with gothic and supernatural themes. Everybody loves a great ghost story. How about you? We have a number of great writers involved and we can't wait for you to listen to it. So, stay subscribed to this feed, and we'll release a trailer in the coming months on here. But it's not over yet, so, enjoy the remaining two episodes of Season 3. Stay horrific, everyone. the house. Let's take the last of these seals back and free Allegra. Uh, Jimmy? Yes? The seals are glowing. Are they moving as well? Uh, uh, I'm finding it hard to hold on to them. They are heading to the house. Quickly, let's get there. Look at, at you, completely, completely unaware. unaware. It's a disguise of the priestess. Be careful. Let us pass. Your reign is over. <laughs> oh,
1: that, that is where, where you are, are
0: wrong. You, you have made it so that this is just, just the beginning. beginning. <laughs> <laughs> I've done all that you asked. Please let me have them back. We had a deal. <laughs> Why would I weaken myself to give you what you want? You were so easily manipulated. I thank you, Daniel, for all your assistance. Without Without the power of your promise promise of allegiance allegiance to me, me, I I wouldn't have been been able to start start that earthquake, earthquake, ripping the the hole between the realms. realms. Please, even just a glimpse of them. Afraid not. But why would you rip the hole if you had hold over this place anyway? All All will be be explained, explained, Jimmy. But first, goodbye, Nathaniel. This This is for burning burning me at the stake in the center center of town like some common witch. No! Please! No! I knew he couldn't be trusted. I watched his family be sacrificed in front of him. I always wondered why she spared him. (laughs) (laughs)
1: Now, for the the last last
0: piece. piece. You You all all probably probably know by now. You've been so helpful to me, Jimmy and friend. Allegra, it was a darkness that I sensed in you, but I thought it was residual trauma. Look, her fingernails are missing as well. If you haven't figured it out by now, the seals were there to keep the High Priestess, me, in place. I needed you to bring them to me for my freedom. I could project myself in different forms, but was restricted physically. The more seals you brought back, the more I could do. What happened to the Allegra who was a boon to Raventown? You were our healer, our resident mother. Oh, don't close your eyes. Here it is. The last story. The last before all is revealed to you. The Fishing Trip Written by A.L. Hodges Narrated by James Barnett The thing that irked Nick was not the boredom, although that in and of itself was increasingly intolerable. He and Ali had been sitting here with their rods poised since 6 that morning and neither had experienced so much as a nibble. Despite Dad's reassurances, Nick considered this outing to be a bust. The week at the beach had foamed by in a steady stream of Ali's whining and his parents bickering, interspersed with trips to the beach and the arcade at the pier. Nick knew there were a million better ways to spend his last day of freedom. Catching waves on his bodyboard. Hitting rides down at the wharf. Anything. But no. The old man had his new toy. And he was desperate to enjoy it even at the expense of Nick and Ellie's summer getaway. Yet the boredom and irritation were soon drowned out by something else. They'd gotten to the docks before sunrise. And had set out in Dad's new boat at the crack of dawn. Now that the sun had come up. He was struck by how remote their situation was. He felt insignificant in the face of the expanse that closed in on all sides. As they floated on the empty sea, his fishing bob was a minuscule plastic island in a flat spread of blue that spread out to high-five the distant horizon. Nick couldn't even hear the seagull's call, only the gentle slap of the waves against the boat. That, and Allie complaining. Daddy, I'm hungry, she said. Her mouth stretched wide to get the best resonance on the moan that rattled out of her narrow throat. Throat that Nick had wanted to throttle all morning. Is food in the cooler, honey? Dad replied with a smile. The blue and white plastic cooler sat at his foot, and he tapped it with the toe of his sneaker. Your mother packed us some peaches and sandwiches and... But I want McDonald's! Allie protested. Over her seven years of life, from the time she was a mewling babe until the present day, She'd honed her skills as a professional whinger until she was now expert enough to raise hackles with every word. Nick contemplated, not for the first time, chucking the little terror into the drink. You see any golden arches out here? Nick asked. He gestured into the vast emptiness with his rod and added, There ain't nothing here, not even any fish. Alan gave him a hurt puppy dog look that seemed to work on everyone over the age of 15. It was her most vicious weapon when it came to either getting what she wanted or smoothing over some indiscretion. Dad fell for it every time, and mum maybe half as often, but Nick had resolved long ago not to be finagled out of his disdain for her so easily. We'll get McDonald's back at the hotel, Dad promised. Nick grunted, and he knew that this was probably not an empty assurance since the little weasel often got what she wanted. The only explanation for why Allie was showered with her every whim and Nick often did without was that he, as eldest, was the responsible one. You're older, Mum had explained to him last year. She looks up to you. Sometimes when you care about someone, you learn to let things go and do what's best for them. Nick trusted his mother more than anyone, but this explanation did little to quell his sense of being jibbed. He glared over at Allie. was muttering to herself while she fiddled with the reel of her rod. Her bob danced in the water. Come on gang, Dad said with that unnatural smile. Let's see some spunk. This is our last day out, right? Easy for you to say, Nick thought. The lucky stiff was only out here because it meant more time on his latest acquisition. Ever since his boss promoted him to head of accounting, He had been planning the boat's purchase while collecting new gear for what he referred to as his maiden voyage. He had drooled over catalogs and websites, staring at stats and carousing with dealers while looking for the perfect acquisition. That spring, he had pulled into the drive with a trailer attached to his minivan, carrying the latest member of their family. Dad had called them all out and shown the thing off, grinning ear to ear while he listed the features. Mum had stood with the kids, nodding stiffly, clearly trying to save face in front of her brood while her mate showed his feathers and preened. Nick was only 13, but that was old enough to understand the subtext of his parents' relationship, if only on an intuitive level. He knew mum was biting her tongue, holding back all the things she wanted to say and couldn't. At least she was philosophically consistent. Sometimes, when you loved someone, you did without. Nick turned to his dad, squinting at him in the sunlight. The old man probably thought of himself as a martyr, dragging his kids out into the high seas when he'd rather be enjoying it himself. Normally, dad treated his offspring as if they were a disease he might catch. Most of the week he was at the office, and his presence during weekends was typically comprised by either a laptop or a book. The first time Nick had seen him smile in memory was when he had brought the boat home. Even Ellie's birth had not made him glow so much. But the grin he was wearing now seemed off somehow. Nick and Ellie both had rods in their hands. But Daddy was just standing there with his hands on his hips, watching them. His large aviator shades and a ball cap obscured the top half of his face. All Nick could see was his mouth stretched out, like a shark's. It was this, perhaps, that was the origin of a strange thought that had haunted Nick all morning. The seed of it had been planted in Nick's brain when Dad had come home last night from his fishing trip the previous day. Ellie had been asleep, but Nick had listened to his mum dress him down with his ear pressed to the wood. For the last couple of months, he'd been anxiously waiting for one of them to drop the dreaded word, divorce. To his surprise, Dad was uncommonly complacent. Yes, he would be only too happy to spend the last day of vacation with the kids. Heck, Why not take them fishing with him? Show them how the boat worked. Spend some quality time on the high seas. The next morning, he had gotten up early, already dressed and uncharacteristically cheerful. They were ushered out the door at the butt crack of dawn by a man so curiously upbeat, it was surreal. And that made Nick wonder if that guy standing there, arms crossed, a grin on his face, really was their father at all. To be sure, he certainly looked like Dad. But the whole of his demeanour seemed off. That smile plastered on his lips was too broad. Too fixed. Too stiff. All day he'd worn that grin without a moment's relapse. Was he trying to hide something? How long are we going to be here? Ellie whined. Come on, Pumpkin, Dad said. He came over and leaned towards her with his hands on his knees. Think of it as an adventure. But there's nothing to do. Hallie said. "It's no fishies or anything. You could have at least let us have our phones, Nick muttered. Then we could listen to music while waiting for something to bite. You don't need all those electronic doodads, Dad declared. He straightened up and faced Nick with his fists on his hips. They're just a distraction. Besides, I have a phone for emergencies. He fished an iPhone from his pocket, held it up, and then tucked it away again which is all we need, so why don't you two enjoy yourselves, huh? Have fun." Nick's eyes went from Dad, or at least who he thought was Dad, to a pile of tackle boxes by the cooler, and then to what lay on top of the plastic containers of bait. In a leather sheath was a flaying knife that Dad had bought at the sporting goods store back in Richmond before the trip. When Mum had heard how much Dad was spending on new doodads, it had led to another of their late-night fights which Nick had listened to from the top of the stairs. Once again, he'd expected the dreaded D word. And once again, things had calmed down before they went over the edge. But that knife was one of the many acquisitions that had led his mother to accuse the family patriarch of having what she called a midlife crisis. You've lost your damn mind, mum had hissed. You don't think about me or the kids at all anymore. Just yourself and this stupid hobby of yours. Honestly, George. We could have done anything with that money. Paid off our mortgage or put it away for the kids' college fund. But instead, oh for Christ's sake, stop, dad had growled. Nick could hear the old man's voice slurring in his throat. And he knew that he had been hitting one of the bottles he kept in the drawer of his study. I work my ass off six days a week. I don't deserve to live a little, hmm? I can't have one thing for myself. Oh please, mum had hissed. And Nick had been proud of her. Proud that she was fighting back. You act like you do it for us. But you do it for yourself. You work for that promotion because you want to be Mr. Big Shot. And that was why he focused on the flaying knife. It was his only weapon. If this phantasm in his dad's skin turned out to be dangerous, he was going to make a die for the knife. He didn't like the idea of him and Ali alone out here without some way to defend themselves. All morning, he had been haunted by an image of this lanky stranger dunking Ellie into the sea, while wearing that broad grin on those thin lips. But of course, he knew simultaneously that this was preposterous. The guy was Dad. Who else could it be? I'm bored, Ellie said with a sigh. Don't you want to catch something? Dad asked excitedly. One of your specimens for Mama. This referenced Ellie's habit. An annoying and superfluous one, in Nick's opinion, of collecting artefacts wherever she went. Her room back at the house was full of jars containing butterflies, grasshoppers, ants, any living thing that she took a fancy to. Allie had already gathered a treasure trove of shells from the beach over the last week, and had been raving non-stop about getting something more substantial before they returned home. She had a plastic mayonnaise jar at her feet, ready for anything she might pull from the sea that she considered worthy of her attention. Nick sat with his chin in his palm watching the bob move gently in the rippling water, trying to refocus. There was nothing inside save the teal expanse, which made him feel even more isolated. He was naked without his cell phone or iPad, and felt helpless in the face of sheer blue nothingness all around them. He thought again of the filleting knife and wondered how hard it would be to cut his own throat. ''I am so tired,'' Ali muttered. ''There ain't even any breakfast!'' Don't fall asleep, Nick said with a sigh. You'll dunk in the water and we'll have to fish you out. Little Ellie was his parasite, his perpetual responsibility. Ellie gave her dad a worried look, but dad just smiled. Nobody's going into the ocean, so just relax. Look, it's boring now, but things will pick up soon. I had a ton of luck when I came here yesterday. Nick stared at the bob, thinking... Something about what Dad had just said sent a chill up his spine. Dad had been out here yesterday. Why did that bother him so much? Then Allie started squealing and tugging frantically at her rod. I got something. Reel it in. Daddy shrieked. His voice pierced the air and made Nick wince. The old man sounded almost hysterical with joy. Nick turned and saw Allie wrestling with her rod. The tip was bent down in an arch and she was spinning the reel viciously. Dad had gotten off his rump and was crowding in behind her, leaning over her shoulder and watching with that ever-present grin. That's it, baby, Dad hissed, his mouth broadening to split his face. Fight hard. Get it in, don't lose it. Good, good. Nick had now turned around and watched, his rod still in hand, as Ali worked to drag the catch in. He could see ripples trailing across the water as Ali drew a rod up and worked the reel. There was a dark shadow under the water that was now closing in, but it didn't look like a fish in either shape or texture. As she pulled it up out of the sea, Nick squinted to try and understand what was dangling at the end of the hook. The thing was slimy and amorphous, clinging to the end of the line with a phalanx of tentacles. Ellie gave the thing a disgusted look. Ew, what's that? It's okay, honey, Dad said, patting her on the head. A catch is a catch. Daddy's still proud. That's a jellyfish, Nick said. You better watch them stingers, Allie. What do I do with it? Ellie said in a whisper, as if the jellyfish might overhear. She was glaring at it ponderously, watching it swing like a pendulum on the end of her line. Their dad gestured helplessly. Why don't you put it in your jar? Take it home and show it to mum. Hey, Ellie, you better be careful, Nick called over. His dad was still grinning away, but he sensed tension. There were many dinners, many family trips to the movies, many vacations during which Mummy and daddy had gone through the motions of what normal people called marriage. But Nick knew something ominous bubbled beneath the surface of every word and gesture. Now he felt that bubbling again and wished he could see dad's eyes. The smile was so stiff and plastic, but the eyes don't lie. At least not in Nick's experience. Go on honey, pull it off, Dad said. And again, Nick found himself questioning the identity of the man standing before him. Their old man was a grade A worry wart. Did you take your pills? Don't touch it, it's covered in germs. Don't hang out with that kid, he's trouble. And on and on. A mantra on middle class syllogisms on everyday harm avoidance. Nick couldn't imagine their dad encouraging Ellie to touch the jellyfish any more than he could imagine him telling Ellie to juggle chainsaws or do a backflip off the top of a skyscraper. Ellie reached out, then hesitated and turned to Nick. They've got stingers? Like a bee, Nick said. Your hand will swell up big as a balloon and we'll have to take you to the hospital. Nick, stop, their dad said. And though the words were gentle enough, There was a tinge of anger in Dad's tone. What was he up to? It was almost like he was actively pushing her hand forward, towards the creature at the end of the line. Ellie whimpered, looking at the jellyfish, but Dad just kept smiling. Nick sensed anger radiating off the old man, but the smile was still in place. Something was wrong, and it was this sense of danger that spurned Nick on. They'll pin you on a table, Nick went on. And jerk your breeches down and give you one on both cheeks. They use big, long needles to make sure they really get it up in there. And then, Dad's hand lashed out and slapped Nick across the cheek. He saw Dad's teeth flashing in the sun before he was knocked back against the edge of the boat. Nick toppled over and dropped his rod while the boat rocked precariously from the shift in momentum. Nick himself was stunned as the stranger in Dad's clothes stood over him and looked down behind that pair of dark shades. The grin now looked more like a snarl. I'm warning you, Nick, the impostor said. You better stop scaring your sister. We're going to have a fun outing today, and I don't want any of your nonsense, you hear? So you just stop it. Then he turned to Ali and said, go on, sweetheart. Nick's just kidding. It won't hurt you. Why don't you pull it off and put it in the jar over there? Allie's eyes bulged and flicked back and forth between Nick and the stranger. She realises it too, Nick thought. She knows it can't be Dad now. What if he knows what we know? What will he do? And the stranger gestured, baring his teeth. Go on, Ellie. Listen to Daddy. Take it off the line. Nick wanted to cry out, but it was too late. Ellie was scared, and in her fear, was even more dense than usual. With her tiny hand, she grabbed the jellyfish and grimaced as her fist closed around its oozing body. She started to pull, and the creature released the line without resistance. But how what happened next was difficult for Nick to reconstruct in retrospect because of how quickly it occurred. The creature moved fast, and in a half second, it had Ali's wrist wrapped in its tentacles. She'll get stung, Nick thought, just great. Yet to his shock, the creature started moving up her arm, as if shimmying a fire hose pole. It expanded and contracted across her flesh like an inchworm on speed. Ellie dropped the rod and screamed bloody murder. Nick leapt to his feet and dove towards Allie. The stranger's arm shot out and blocked him. Let her deal with it, Nick, he said. Now, the jellyfish creature was up at Ellie's shoulder, making its way over her neck. She was sobbing hysterically and shrieking, Get it off, get it off, get it off, at the top of her lungs. Her voice reverberated across the waves, which did not even ripple in response. She had grabbed the creature with the other hand and was tugging as hard as she could, though she could not dislodge the clutching tentacles. Her frantic movements made the boat rock so viciously that Nick was afraid that they would all be dumped into the ocean. But the stranger left him to go deal with Ellie. Pushing her down to the floor of the boat with one hand, and holding her in place with the other she wailed and begged for daddy to take the thing off as her legs kicked in the air stop nick squealed he was on the verge of tears as the metal he had built up over himself over the years finally gave way the jellyfish was now at ellie's face and the underside of the blobby body had engulfed her mouth and nose the tentacles were wrapped around her head and nick saw the creature pulsate in a sickeningly organic manner Hallie gurgled as the stranger held her down by pressing her to the bottom of the boat with his shoulder, while drool trickled from the corners of that insane rictus. Nick dove forward and threw a punch. To his shock, the blow landed and knocked the stranger off his sister. The sunglasses fell from the stranger's face and clattered into the floor of the boat. His head turned, and Nick saw the dead eyes that stared back. It was his dad's face, but there was nothing behind the dilated empty pupils. That wasn't nice, Nick, the stranger muttered. Allie was now on the floor of the boat, convulsing as she pulled at the jellyfish and kicked her legs. The creature was not coming off. The stranger took a threatening step towards Nick, but the boy charged him in response. Nick threw his shoulder into the stranger's stomach and the blow forced the imposter backward. The thing that was not daddy struggled to keep its balance, but the shuffling feet tripped over the cooler. Without even crying out, the stranger fell backward and went flailing over the edge of the boat with a splash. Nick fell to his sister's side and grabbed onto the creature's slippery body. Both children were now pulling together, with their added strength stretching the gelatinous monstrosity. It resisted, its tentacles wrapped tightly around Ellie's face and its body pressed over her nose and mouth. Nick snatched up the filleting knife and went to work on the tentacles slicing at the place where they connected to the creature's pulsating body. The blade sliced through the gelatinous flesh and the severed tentacles fell away. Nick cut one, two, three, four, and after the fifth, Allie finally managed to pull the creature away. Nick helped remove the parasite, which pulled away from Ali's mouth with a slimy sucking sound. As he drew it back, a long tendril trailed behind it and fell from Allie's lips in a trail of mucus. Ellie sat up coughing. Then she heaved and spewed up something that looked like grape preserves onto the boat. Pumping, Ellie gasped. It was pumping into me. Nick watched as the jellyfish deflated and collapsed in his hand until it was only a shrivelled husk. He saw now how bizarre it looked its shape pyramidal instead of spherical, and its glassy skin an oddly luminescent shade of violet. Even though it had withered like a drying raisin, And its tentacles had been mangled by the filleting knife was still unearthly in its luster and geometry nick threw the blasphemous thing over the side returning it to whatever stygian abyss it had swum from then both children heard a splash and a cry ellie jerked her head still gasping for breath her eyes bulging nick where's dad nick went to the side of the boat and looked down Expecting to see the stranger treading water with that stupid smile still on its otherwise blank mannequin face Instead he saw a thrashing mass that was slowly sinking into the darkness below Allie joined him and started screaming Nick pull him up pull him up But Nick wasn't listening He sat transfixed Trying to understand the struggling thing that aroused not fear but pity and horror the water was alive with glowing purple hydras that undulated beneath the boat. They were swarming the stranger and attaching to his limbs as his body was consumed by a phalanx of gelatinous shingles. The man that had been their father was now completely covered in a bodysuit of jellyfish and sinking into the sea. As he drifted deeper, more of the jellyfish attached to him in a feedback loop that accelerated his descent. Ellie was sobbing and shaking Nick's arm begging for him to do something, but Nick was paralyzed by a sudden realization, one that went deeper than the stranger's descent. The constellation of jellyfish made one thing very clear, they were being invaded. Ellie buried her face in Nick's shoulder and wept, put an arm around her. The gesture was purely perfunctory as he stared into the pitiless ocean. The depths were impenetrably dark save for the ghostly illumination of the ultraviolet stars that moved in a slow maelstrom around the underside of the boat. Nick understood now why his dad's statement about catching fish out here had disturbed him so much. The old man had come back empty-handed. And then Ellie was screaming again, shrieking loud enough to ring Nick's eardrums. Oh my god, Nick, it's coming right for us! It was ascending from the depths of the sea, titanic and luminescent, like a giant moon. A myriad of tentacles spread beneath it, each as big around as a man's head. When those tendrils pulsated, another miniature jellyfish popped out to join the legion of its brethren. The leviathan only grew as it rose towards the surface, continually spawning more juniors that rallied into an army as their magnemator approached the boat overhead. What will we do? Ellie sobbed. Oh my god, what are we going to do, Nick? Nick dove for the motor and grabbed the crank cord. In the final analysis, he could calculate their route out later, maybe use the flare gun to attract the Coast Guard, something, but right now, all that mattered was that they get the hell out of there and away from those things in the water. Nick jerked the crank cord, but nothing happened. He jerked again and was met with a familiar lack of activity. Hurry, Nick, Ellie called out. Nick pulled the cord again, and then the world shuddered as an incredible weight collided with the boat. The sea rose and swallowed both children in a single gulp. It took the Coast Guard five hours to find them. They were about 20 miles out to sea, clinging to the overturned boat and looking through bleary eyes at the searchlight of the helicopter. They were fished out and covered in blankets, though it was clear that hypothermia was already setting in. The children were unresponsive to questions and said nothing during the whole trip back to shore. At the pier, their mother greeted them with tears and hugs. The children did not return her affection nor did they answer any questions posed by the Coast Guard, but simply stood there like twin statues. The Coast Guard was forced to inform the tearful mother that her husband had not been located, which sent her into a further fit of weeping. The children watched her as she buried her face in her hands and sobbed, apparently unmoved by her tears. The entire family was taken to the hospital for a psychological evaluation. The next morning, The children were cheerful, almost unreasonably so. Both Nick and Ali were all smiles and grins, giving upbeat responses to queries posed by the police. Apparently their father had gotten drunk and overturned the boat by accident, drowning when his foot got entangled in the anchor. The details of the incident were never fully elucidated, but their answers were considered satisfactory by the authorities. The kids were clearly in shock and their mother was advised to get them home as quickly as possible. They were released from the hospital by the end of the day, the kids all smiles and the mother trying to keep up a good front for her children. While the kids packed, calls were made. Their mother contacted both sets of grandparents, as well as the family lawyer and their minister. Arrangements would have to be made, of course, for both the funeral and counselling for the children. While their mother sobbed and muttered into the phone, The kids packed up their things dutifully, whistling merrily as they worked. This strangely upbeat attitude elicited only more pity from their mother. The drive home was a mechanical and perfunctory affair. It was surreal how well behaved Nick and Allie were during the three-hour trip. Normally, they fought like cats and dogs on a family drive, but today they were exceptionally complacent, and they smiled the whole time. Their mother found herself checking in the rearview mirror again and again, astonished by those broad grins. She also took notice of what Ali had between her thighs. It was a mayonnaise jar full of water, with something floating inside. It looked like a jellyfish. You've been listening to The Night's End Podcast, which is a production of Dissonance Media. The Fishing Trip was written by A.L. Hodges. Andrew was born in Suffolk, England, but spent most of his life in Virginia. He's worked as a paint contractor, a biology teacher, and an emergency room volunteer. All experiences he draws on for his writing. He currently lives in Kentucky with his wife. This episode was narrated by James Barnett, James is a writer, narrator, editor, podcast producer, and reluctant transport manager. For more work from James, head to jamesbarnettcreative.com or connect with him on Twitter and Instagram at jimmyhorrors. Jeremiah Dawn was performed by James Not Jack. For more, head to strangefigment.com. Abigail was performed by Erica Ventura. Erica is a mother narrator, visual artist, and animal husbandry technician. You can check out some of her artwork on Instagram at EFVENTU, or you can visit her artist page at facebook.com forward slash bioartsy. Allegra was performed by Rebecca Strazina from the podcast The West London Witch. Nathaniel was performed by Brian Jeans. Jimmy Horace was performed by James Barnett. This episode was edited and produced by James Barnett. Please support us by leaving a review and a 5 star rating, or tell a friend about us who you think might be interested in scary stories. And as always, stay horrific everyone.